and I cannot have too high a view of Christ. The church is sickly and anemic and headed for trouble, real trouble, when the church forgets this. When the church begins to marvel at man or just talk about God in general, rather than pointing people to Jesus Christ. Not only in evangelism is Christ the issue, in worship Christ is the issue. The Holy Spirit came to glorify Christ in His greetings. He doesn't mention Himself, He mentions His Son, Jesus Christ. And when the church becomes you know, enthralled with this, that, or the next thing other than Christ, there's problems ahead. And what I say of the church, I could say of this congregation, I could say of your life, my life, you cannot have too high an opinion of Jesus Christ. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Ephesians. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, From Eternity to Eternity. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Jesus Christ, the preeminent one who's over all things, he is the head of the body, which is the church, his body. Or chapter two. He starts, look at us, verse 1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And he gives a fairly vivid examination of what we were. And by the end of the chapter, look at verse 22, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. We are God's household. He's not talking about this congregation or that denomination or that organization. He's talking about every blood-bought child of God from the day of Pentecost to the rapture. The church is the household of God, he says. And he's marveling at it. He's throughout the book, he'll, he'll stop and pray and praise God because he says, to me, was given the grace to proclaim this. It's amazing. Now, let me just uh, remind you of something else that I said because I want us to see this as we move into verse 3 and following and, and not, you know, lose sight of the majesty of all this. I mean, chapter 1, or excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 2. Let me just illustrate from chapter 2 for a second. You were dead in your trespasses, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That's the kind of world we live in today. That's where we were. That's what this culture is. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That's why the media is what it is. That's why cable TV is what it is. That's why it's a reflection of what man is today. By nature, children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. And he seated us with Christ in the heavenlies in order that we might be on display, verse 7, in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In fact, we, the church, are, look at verse 10, His workmanship. 
poema. I said it last week. We get our word poem, but it's a word that means we're his final work. It's, it's like a craftsman who builds a statue and sculptures it just the way he wants and then says, here's my work, my masterpiece. Here's what I've made. And it's a reflection of him. We are God's workmanship. We're the work of this grand artisan. And he decided to draw or sculpt or build or grow, however what the Bible uses all those kinds of words. His poema, his workmanship, it's us, the church. We're to be on display throughout all eternity for all created intelligence to marvel at the glory of God. Now, I mentioned last time, there are only two places in the Bible this term shows up. Glance back over to Romans chapter 1. You think about foundational books, Romans and Ephesians. You see, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, Ephesians says. I often say we're recreated in Christ. We're new creatures in Christ. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. So we use language like that uh, because God is doing something new. He's made the church His workmanship. Now let's go back to the first poema, if you will, verse 20 of Romans 1, the only other time He uses this term. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through poema, what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Who? Us, the human race. When we look around at creation, God created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke and it stood fast. He created the time, matter, space, universe so that His glory might be made known, His eternal power and divine nature to show forth so that everyone's without excuse <laughs> and to show forth the glory of His grace. That's why He created the universe. And you say, now wait a minute, Scott, if you're sharp. You say, I can see to show forth His glory but the glory of His grace in creation? Well, remember, and maybe you've never even thought of it this way, this vast physical time-space universe that we speak of, that we live in, that we marvel at, these hundreds of billions of galaxies that ours being one of the regular ones, the Milky Way has, what, 200 to 400 billion stars? The vast universe that he created is like a theater where he can unfold the drama of redemption. Think of it that way for a moment. And listen to me carefully. And don't miss my thought. And don't uh, jump to jump ahead or whatever. Man is the main character. He created, you know, 
all the beasts of the field and the heavens and the earth and the separated the waters and the earth. And then he said, let us make man in our image. And I know that almost sounds shocking to our ears because we know a little bit more about it. And we live in such a man-centered day. And yet it's becoming increasingly perverse. So to say man is the main character, listen to the psalmist. Will I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained? What is man that thou dost take thought of him, and the son of man that thou dost care for him? Yet thou hast made him a little lower than God, and dost crown him with glory and majesty. Thou dost make him to rule over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. No man created in God's image is the main character here on earth. God's Son, even what? Became a man. He didn't become an angel. He became a man at the very climax of the drama. Creation is a theater that allows us to see the glory of the grace of God. You see, because if, it all, if, if creation was just inanimate or if it was just what we see without man and what God has done... Why, then creation would just be, a, we would know his eternal power and his divine nature. But he created this so that he could make known and think of what he's made known to mankind and to the angels, to the rulers and the authorities. Ephesians says he's going to put us on display throughout eternity. Think of what he's made known about himself. And then, remember, after he's done all this, he destroys the theater. Heaven and earth pass away. Jesus promised in his great prophetic discourse, Matthew 24, but my word will not pass away. The heavens will be destroyed with fire and the elements will burn with intense heat, 2 Peter 3 says. I come to Revelation 21 and the first heavens and the first earth passed away. He destroys the theater. Now we come to the second poema. Look over at Ephesians. And you know, as grand and as vast as the universe is, the church is bigger. The church is grander. The church is greater. The church is more fundamental. The second poema, and I shouldn't even use that term, it dwarfs the first, if you will. It predates it. You see, in the beginning, in the beginning of what? Well, time. And I said, in the beginning, he created the time, space, mass, universe that we live in. But long before that, from all eternity, he began to design his poema, his workmanship, his final product from all eternity. 
So I really shouldn't use that language I so often use. I mean, I think, it's a, you know what I'm saying, I, I think I use it on purpose that he recreated us in Christ Jesus. That this, If I were to say the second poema, this isn't like, oh, an adjustment. No, These, the church includes, you know, his grand eternal purpose includes his purpose in history and what he did in creating creation and creating that theater where this might be outplayed, and he's going to destroy the theater and create a new heavens and a new earth. But it's a marvel to think of it, isn't it? And it's humbling, is it not? I mean, we're talking language that only God can speak, and it's a marvel uh, to even say it. From all eternity, God has purposed to build his church, to grow his body, to build his dwelling place. Now, look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The triune God has purposed from all eternity to lavish His grace upon us at the cost of His Son's blood, verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us. No wonder Paul begins with this word, blessed to eulogize, that's where we get our term, to speak well of, to declare His goodness. You see, just as the triune God worked together in the first poema, if I can put it that way, the creation, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Through Him, speaking of Jesus Christ, John 1, 3, all things that came into being have come into being. And without Him, nothing that's come into being was, has. You remember? God the Father, God the Son, and I come to verse 2 of Genesis. The Spirit was hovering, was moving upon the face of the earth. Just as the triune God was involved in creating that poema, so when I come to the eternal work of God, the church... I see, verse 3, God the Father. Verse 7, God the Son. And verse 13, God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of promise. I hesitate to say the outline of, but I will. I mean, when I'm thinking of it this way, it just it dwarfs me so much so that I just think, oh, I don't want to just say, well, the outline of these verses is... But they do outline, there's a real clear structure to them. Verses one through, or three through six, the Father who chose us from all eternity. Verses seven through twelve, the Son who redeemed us with His blood. And verse thirteen and fourteen, the Spirit who seals us until the day of eternity, until the day of redemption. You see the triune God at work. No wonder Paul starts, praise His name. Blessed be 
the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. We bless the one who's blessed us. We bless him with words. He blesses us with deeds. All we can do is speak well, eulogize of this one who is the giver of all good things. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. I mean, this verse introduces us to something we're going to see throughout these first three chapters over and over and over. Positional truth. Truth that is true of every Christian. If you just this week put your faith in Jesus Christ and you say, I don't know much, I barely know, I just, I barely know how to find Ephesians. Let me tell you something. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. You're just as blessed as the oldest, most mature, most godly saint in the room or on earth. Positional truth is true of every Christian. It's things God did. It's of His grace. It was purchased at Calvary, these blessings. They're made real to us by the Holy Spirit. They were planned from all eternity by the triune God. These blessings on you and me. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And I'll tell you, Ephesians is loaded with it. When you read it this week, think that way, especially the first three chapters. Mull it over. And you'll do, you'll do what Paul did. You'll, you'll find yourself on your knees. You'll find yourself praising the Lord. You'll find yourself unable to really speak about it and saying things like, oh, I pray that you'd know the unknowable. You know, that's what he said up in chapter three when he thinks of the love of God the surpassing knowledge of him who can't be known. You know, he just, he uses language that's stretched because he is so in awe of the grace of God, the glory of the grace of God that he's, that he's explaining here and is being revealed through him. Uh, this positional truth, by the way, is foundational for Christian growth. You want to grow strong in the Lord? Get to know what he's done for you. You want to come to maturity? God's way of bringing us to maturity in our Christian life. In other words, this isn't just philosophy class. The first three chapters of Ephesians lead to the last three chapters. And healthy Christianity is a byproduct of really grasping the blessings that God has blessed us with in verse 3. And he just says it there. And he says it in a way that ought to arrest our attention. He can't bless you more than he has, Christian. He's blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Oh, Paul says, after he writes it, I pray that you'd understand this. That's why he burst. That's the first chapter. You know, He says, that's why I pray, verse 18, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Oh, I pray that you'd know this. You know, that's a good prayer to pray for yourself, to pray for me to pray for one another as we get into Ephesians in the weeks to come, that we would really know these things, that God would open our hearts, that, that our eyes, the capacity to understand His grace, to marvel at the glory of His grace would, would be there. Now let me just close with these thoughts. Look at verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing 
in the heavenly places in Christ. Everything is in Christ. Everything. God lavishes His grace on us in His Son. The key to everything is in Christ. Are you in Christ? You see, I'm splashing around in His grace. I'm marveling at His eternal purpose because I'm in Christ, and I speak to you as if you're in Christ. But it could be in a group this size, you're not in Christ. God has purposed to do all these things in His Son. You must be in Christ. And you know, God has purposed all the ages to bring glory to His Son. Glance down at verse 10. That is the summing up of all things in Christ. When he moves from eternity past to eternity future, verses 3 through 14, right in the center of it, he reminds us everything is in Christ. I'm summing up everything in Christ. You and I cannot have too high a view of Christ. The church is sickly and anemic and headed for trouble, real trouble, when the church forgets this. When the church begins to marvel at man or just talk about God in general, rather than pointing people to Jesus Christ. Not only in evangelism is Christ the issue, in worship Christ is the issue. The Holy Spirit came to glorify Christ in His greetings. He doesn't mention Himself. He mentions His Son, Jesus Christ. When He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, He hesitantly stays in the background, if you will, because He came to glorify me, Jesus said. And when the church becomes you know, enthralled with this, that, or the next thing other than Christ, there's problems ahead. And what I say of the church, I could say of this congregation, I could say of your life, my life, you cannot have too high an opinion of Jesus Christ. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, says Paul in the little letter that goes right between Ephesians and Colossians, you know, Philippians. And I often think of it kind of being the personal note after Paul wrote the doctrinal treatise of Ephesians, then you read Philippians and you'll see many, many truths that are just overflowing into practical. You know, every knee's going to bow. Every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, From Eternity to Eternity, a message from our study of the book of Ephesians. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to abideintheword.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. Something we've been making available as a thank you gift for our listeners are USB flash drives loaded with Bible teaching series in their entirety. So currently, we're offering the entire teaching of the Gospel of Matthew. That's 109 full-length messages, over 50 hours of clear, Christ-centered Bible teaching on this important introductory book of the New Testament. 
We'd like to make these teachings available to you, our listeners. Just make your request, along with your gift of any size, to the ministry of Abide in the Word. You can do that during regular business hours by calling 503-524-7000 or mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. You can simply click on Contact Us at AbideInTheWord.us anytime. We'd love to put one of these valuable resources in your hands. Did you know Abide in the Word is available every day on Facebook? Well, right along with our daily podcast on iTunes and Google Play, our daily messages are posted to Facebook as well. You can find them at facebook.com slash abide in the word. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Now, I want you to notice who chose who. He chose us. Jesus said point blank in John 15, verse 16, You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And notice, look at verse 4, when he chose us, before the foundation of the world, from all eternity. We who are limited by time, we, we have a hard time fathoming this, but the language is clear. God says he chose us before time began. Before he created this time, space, matter, universe, he chose us in Christ. To what purpose? That we should be holy and blameless before him. Join us again next time as we continue in our study of the book of Ephesians. Pastor Scott will bring a message titled, The Father Who Chose Us. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.